Amen. Well, good morning, church. Stay standing. We're going to read scripture. I want to, I want to introduce you to Nick. Everybody say hi, Nick. Hey. Say hi to everybody. Hey. Say hi. 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 So I just want to let you know, um, you guys, some of you remember Sean Nielsen. Some of you remember Sean Dog. Okay. Nick sat with me and sang, and this guy can belt it out. Amen. And so I said, Nick, you are singing so beautifully, and I just, I just love that you're in our church, and we praise God, amen? We praise the Lord, and I just want you to come up and pray with us as a church to open up our service. How cool would that be? So let's pray um, together with Nick, and let's just rejoice in what God's doing. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to sing to you. God, we thank you for Nick and his passionate singing. And God, may our church ever be a church where individuals like Nick are not only welcomed, but encouraged and strengthened. Lord, we are so blessed that he's here with us this morning. We're so blessed with our true MVP members of our church, God. So we thank you for Nick's praise, and we thank you for his life, and we thank you for what you're doing in his life. Thank you for the way he blessed me. Um, just a few minutes ago, we're so grateful, and we are so thankful for Nick, and would you bless our service this morning in a special way, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's put our hands together for Nick. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for coming up, buddy. Okay, you can go back and sit, okay? Okay. And now, stay standing again. Again, I'm making you stand for a while. Uh, we got scripture to read, and we are in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, we're in verses 28 through 36. This is the word of God. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took him with Peter and John and James and he went up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we're here. Let's make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them and they were afraid. And they entered the cloud and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son. My chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Praise God for the reading and the hearing of his word. Let's pray together. Father, we bow our hearts and our, our minds to you, our souls to you. Thank you, God, for Nick. God, we're thankful for Amanda Baxter being back with us today. God, after a long bout with sickness, and we praise you, Jesus, that her and Cody are here. God, we thank you for everybody that's here, that's new, visitors, um, checking things out, God, worshiping you. It's awesome. We're glad that they're here. God, we're glad that our church family is together. It's a real privilege and an honor. Lord, we need your word. God, we need your word so much. We need divine grace to rain down on our lives. 
We need a refresh, a reset. We need confession of sin. We need to see you working. We need to see you bringing victories in our lives. We, we must have it, God. We must. We're desperate for you. Thank you for what you're doing in our country. Thank you for the stirring of God that we're sensing. There's something going on, Lord, and we're very thankful that we get to be a small part of it. God, help us to be a part of the, the wave of your work, God, the gospel. Lord, we pray that there would be some, even this morning, who would be saved from their sins, that would repent of their sins and confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior. God, we pray that there would be Christians who would get their lives right with you, be refreshed and renewed in their mind. God, we don't have the power to do this. Only you have the power to do this. We're begging you that you would meet with us in a special way. Use your word to speak to us now, God. Thank you for Jesus' transfiguration, his victory over sin, death, and the grave. Thank you that every decision to confess sin is a victory of the risen king. Thank you every, every person that gets saved is a victory of the risen king, Jesus. Thank you for every baptism, which is a declaration of victory for Christ. Thank you, God. May you speak to us now. Use your word powerfully in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, yes, we are in Luke chapter 9 this morning. Luke chapter 9. And we are continuing our Easter series, which is called The Road to Easter. And my sermon title this morning is Putting Everyone on Notice. Putting Everyone on Notice. Now, to, to put someone on notice is to let them know about things that are mo more than likely going to happen in the future. Now, we see this happen all the time in our Christian lives. We see this with countries talking to other countries, you know, like if it's one country saying, hey, we're, we don't like the way you're acting to another country, we're going to put sanctions on you, or there's talk of war or conflict. One country puts another country on notice, right? We're going to put you on notice. Things aren't well between our countries. And then the other country normally volleys back and says, oh yeah, well, we're going to put you on notice and we're going to put you on sanctions because we don't like the way you're acting very much. And then back and forth we go with countries putting each other on notice. Uh, we do this in human sociological ways when we have one person who's recognized as a rising star. You know, when we see someone who's really good at something, we're like, oh, Watch out for that person. They're a rising star. I'm putting you on notice that I saw them first. No, I saw them first. You know, like that, that lady singer, she's really good. I saw her first. I, saw, I was at her first concert. You were not. Yes, I was. And we go back and forth. I'm putting you on notice that I'm a witness of this greatness, this person that's going to rise up in whatever field, right? Entertainment, athletics. We do this all the time. The thing about human glory and the, about human... Um, boasting is that it never lasts very long, right? As soon as that person messes up their life or sins or it walks in pride, then all of a sudden we're like, well, I guess that person's not so great, but the next person's right over here and they're going to come up and they're the next rising star. And so we put people on notice regarding what we think we see. How many of you watch the Super Bowl? Everybody watch the Super Bowl? Pretty much. Okay. Chiefs fans, you watched the Super Bowl, didn't you? Yes, you did. Okay. Um, you've, if you watched the Super Bowl, there was commercials. The commercials, we were being put on notice. I don't know if you 
uh, took note of any of that, but every single automaker commercial was putting all of the country on notice that electric vehicles are coming and they're on their way. So all of you gas-guzzling Midwesterners, yeah, amen, yeah, yeah. You better be put on notice that the EV wave is coming. Now, look, I, as I found those commercials to be quite funny and compelling, here's why. Because I was reading uh, Elon Musk's biography at the time, and I'm like, yeah, makes sense. Like, it's coming, whether people like it or not, whether you love gas cars or not, it's totally coming. And every commercial was there to put you on Notice, whether you agree or disagree, that's what the point of the commercials were. Now, we come to Luke 9, and Jesus is not talking to us about electric vehicles. Praise the Lord, right? Jesus is talking to us about something way more significant, his glory. And he's putting everyone on notice that he's not just a good teacher, He's not just a miracle worker. Jesus Christ is the eternal, exalted Son of God. And the, the transfiguration gives us a moment's peek into the glory of this Jesus. And as we look at Christ, we are going to see him putting people on notice. Well, who's he putting on notice? Peter, James, and John, for sure. Definitely Peter, James, and John, but so much more than that. So much more than that. Jesus is declaring his glory to every spirit being and every unseen realm demon and every other reality that's going on behind the scenes of what we can't see. And Moses and Elijah are going to show up. We are going to see some amazing things in this passage of scripture and Jesus is putting everybody on notice that I'm coming and my victory is sure. Praise the Lord. Now, what is the transfiguration? Some of you are wondering, like, what is this word? What does it mean? Fill in the gaps. What is the transfiguration? So here's the, here's the reality of the transfiguration. Jesus is praying on a mountain, most likely Mount Hermon, and his skin begins to shine with divine glory. And he is literally experiencing a metamorphosis. He is going from caterpillar to, but, to butterfly. Yep, man, I almost did it again. First service, I said caterpillar to bunny. <laughs> no, uh, we have bunnies at, in our backyard. I have bunny on the brain a lot. The girls are always talking about the bunnies. So caterpillar... To butterfly, okay? Caterpillar to butterfly. That's the metamorphosis we're going for. And Jesus is showing you his glory. He is literally experiencing this metamorphosis where he is, his flesh is saying bye-bye and his divine supernatural glory is taking center stage. Now, why is this cool? Because in, Mos in the Old Testament, Moses glowed. Do you remember Moses glowing? In the Old Testament, in Exodus, he was glowing with the glory of God. He got to go up on Mount Sinai. He got to get the law of God. And he came down and his face was glowing from being in the presence of God. And everybody was like, that's weird, Moses. Please put something over your face. It's distracting. And so he put on a veil around his face so that he wasn't so distracting to the people of God. 
But Moses, that glory was not his own. He was merely reflecting the glory of God. He didn't have glory. He was reflecting the glory. Jesus, that glory came from inside of him, which means he is the eternal son of God who has innate glory inside of him. And the body of flesh that he had was just a covering of his real glory. And the transfiguration was bursting out what was already within. See how that's different? And he is telling everybody to take notice. And that's my big idea this morning in the passage is that the transfiguration, Jesus is putting everyone on notice that he has come to establish his kingdom and take back what was lost in the fall. And what was lost in the fall of Adam and Eve? Everything. Everything was lost in the fall. And you can give me a hearty sinner amen, right? Everything was lost. The world is broken. We're broken. Our hearts are broken. Our minds are broken. Everything's broken. And we know it needs to be fixed. And Jesus' transfiguration was putting everybody on notice that I have come to take victory in these areas of brokenness. I have come to forgive sinners of their sins. I have come to declare victory over sin, death, and the grave. And all God's people said amen, right? All of you that are looking forward to resurrection when you die, you say amen to that. And Jesus is also declaring victory at the transfiguration over every principality, power, spiritual forces of darkness, and every realm of darkness that fights so hard against the uh, forces of God. So the transfiguration is a display of victory. Jesus' victory. He's going to win. And that's his de declaration. Jesus' trans transfiguration is a sign of victory in the midst of suffering. And he's showing us that victory and suffering are compatible together. Now, most of us, we struggle with that in our minds, just like the, the saints did of old. Like suffering and victory, those aren't the same thing. And Jesus is saying, no, victory can exist and does exist right alongside of great suffering. Remember, Jesus has been talking about the cross a lot. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Jesus is saying that the son of man will be betrayed and he will be given over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will persecute him and they will, they will crucify him. And three days later, they will rise again. And all of a sudden, people are looking at Jesus like you're talking all the suffering language, okay? Suffering and messiahs don't often hang out together. And Jesus is saying, no, the transfiguration is an evidence that victory also exists alongside of the valley of the shadow of death. Now, if you're a Christian, you know this, right? Because we have victory in Christ, amen? Our resurrection is guaranteed because of what Jesus has done. We are on the winning side. How many of you like to be on the winning side of things? I do. You know me, you know I do, and I know you do. You guys love to be on the winning side. And Jesus is saying, you are on the winning side with me, and you will also experience the valley of the shadow of death. You will suffer just like me, and I will suffer on the cross. And we struggle to bring those two things together. Is the Christian life victorious? Yes, it is. Is the Christian life full 
of suffering and hardship. Yes, it is. And those two things are not opposed to one another. That's what the transfiguration is showing us. So who exactly is Jesus putting on notice? Who is Jesus putting on notice in this text? I I think there's at least three groups, and we're going to go through them one at a time. Group number one is the spirit realm. Jesus is putting on notice the spirit realm, verse 28 and 29. After eight days, after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and he went up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, his appearance was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. The first group that Jesus put on notice was the spirit realm. Now, a quick note, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John with him. Why does he do that? Well, because it's smart to take your top three leaders, right, with you. But here's something else to think about. Jesus is really smart. He's a wise person. He knows that according to Deuteronomic law, Deuteronomy law, a testimony is not valid unless there are two to three witnesses. And so he brings up three so that these men can come down someday after the resurrection and say, we saw it. And that connects with the Deuteronomy code of requirement that you got to have that or else it's not valid in a court of law. So what's happening here? Peter, James, and John are going down. And if it's just Peter saying, hey, I saw this vision, everybody's going to say what? Peter, you're crazy. You're crazy, man. But if John says, I also saw it, then people are like, okay. And then if James says, I saw it, then everybody's like, okay, this legitimately happened, even according to the Old Testament requirement. But they went up to this mountain. Now, what mountain is this? This is more than likely, in my view, Mount Hermon. Now, there's two possibilities of which mountain they're on, Mount Tabor or Mount Hermon. Mount Tabor is a 2,000-foot mountain. It's in the Galilee area, and some scholars think that that's where Jesus and the guys were. Um, The more convincing argument in my mind is Mount Hermon. That's straight north of Caesarea Philippi. It's on the northernmost part of Israel. It's 9,000 feet in the air. So this is a really high elevation. And this is probably where Jesus took them. Now, why would I say Mount Hermon rather than Mount Tabor? Here's why. Because I've read Michael Heiser. Amen? Okay. I got a quote from him in a little bit. Mount Hermon was located in the northernmost part of Israel. And it was the seat of many pagan idolatries and evils. And it was historically known for idolatry. It was historically known as the bad place to be. This was like Las Vegas, except on a mountain, okay? Like it's known as a bad place. And Jesus went there and has all these associations with demons and forces of darkness and the occult. And Jesus picks that location for his transfiguration because he's going to unveil himself to the spirit world and he's going to say, game on, let's go. I am declaring my victory to the spiritual forces of darkness in heavenly realms, demons, principalities, powers, spiritual forces of darkness. Y'all better wake up. I am here now. And you can imagine what that did in the spirit realm. That woke up a lot of demons and they got a hold of Satan and Satan began to ramp up the opposition to this king, this Jesus. And as Jesus is praying on Mount Hermon, his divine glory is revealed and his clothes are bleached white. Can I get a laundry? Amen. That's amazing. 
Like he is getting bleached white clothes. They don't even know how to describe this. Matthew said his face shone like the sun. That is amazing. This is our Jesus. Cool. And he's revealing his glory to the spirit realm. Michael Heiser, the theologian and author, he just died actually a few weeks ago. He wrote this on this passage. He said, Jesus is saying, I'm putting the hostile powers of the unseen world on notice. I've come to take the earth back. What is mine? The kingdom of God is at hand. I think that's a really good quote. Jesus himself said, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When Jesus is talking about his church, he said, he said the gates of hell won't prevail. What does that mean? Well, gates are defensive structures, right? You don't see gates on the offense in a war. Gates are never on the offense. Gates can't move. Gates hold back, right, an offensive army. And Jesus said, my church will attack the very gates of hell, and the gates of hell won't be able to prevail against the church. Amen? You need some good news in your life? Yeah, we do. Here's the reality. The church is meant to be on the offensive. Living Waters Fellowship is meant to be on the offensive, not on the defensive. We are not to be defensive against the culture and setting up our big walls everywhere. We are to go attack the gates of hell. And we are to bring Jesus, the author and the supernatural power of his gospel to the gates of darkness. They won't be able to stand up. So, I don't know how you're doing sharing the gospel. But Christian, I want to challenge you to share the gospel with sinners. It's the greatest power on the earth, right? Romans 1.16 says it's the greatest power to overcome spiritual forces of darkness and people who are unsaved and all the things going on in this world. Jesus said the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. Paul said it this way, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against evil rulers and authorities and cosmic powers in this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Your problem is not with a person. Can I get an amen, church? Your problem is not with a person. Your problem is with principalities and powers and spiritual forces of darkness in heavenly realms. So get your eyes off of people and start praying to Jesus for victory in the spiritual realm with folks. Because that's where the real battle lies. And Jesus, his transfiguration is on this mountain. And how does he do it? He does it through prayer. You notice he's praying. He's not boxing, right? He's not boxing like spirit beings. He goes and he starts praying, which gives us a clue that prayer is really important for victories in our life. Amen? We should pray. If Jesus prayed, we should pray. And church, I want to challenge you to ramp up your prayer life. Okay, come to a prayer meeting. Pray together as a small group. Start taking prayer walks. Do things because some of these um, like forces of darkness against you are only going to come out through prayer. And I want to encourage you to pray. Become a praying Christian. Jesus did it through prayer. He transfigured and he was basically putting these spiritual forces on notice. I'm going to win. I'm the great I am. And at my second coming, I'm going to wipe you all out in Revelation chapter 19. And it's coming. So through the transfiguration, Jesus was putting the spirit realm on notice. Secondly, the second group that Jesus was putting on notice was the saints of old. The saints of old. Verse 30 and 31. 
And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. So the second group Jesus put on notice were the saints of old, namely Moses and Elijah. How amazing did this scene just become? Moses and Elijah in glorious bodies are showing up with Jesus and they are talking with one another. Why Moses and Elijah? Why not Abraham and, I don't know, somebody else, Sarah? Why not that? Why Moses and Elijah? Because these two men represented the law and the prophets. Moses represented the law and Elijah represented the prophets. That's one reason. Another reason, there's a lot of reasons why these guys showed up, okay? Another reason is that their lives ended really supernaturally weird. If you know the stories of Moses and Elijah, you know their stories ended up different. Moses, he was supposed to speak to the rock and he hit the rock. And because he hit the rock, God said, you don't get to go into the promised land. And all of a sudden, Moses leads these people for 40 years through a lot of trials and tribulation, but he disobeyed God. He can't go in the promised land. He was going to usher in the kingdom of God. And all of a sudden, no, he doesn't get to usher in the kingdom anymore. And God buries Moses himself in an undisclosed location. Whoa. And in Jude, we know that there was some sort of supernatural angelic dispute over the body of Moses. I mean, this is wild. Moses thought he was going to just go into the promised land and his life ends very abruptly and very supernaturally crazy. How about Elijah? That guy's life was really surprising and a disappointment at the end. It's really crazy. So Moses delivers a huge victory for God. 400 false prophets of Baal go down. Fire comes down from heaven. He is, he is outracing Ahab's chariot back to the city. He's going to usher in the kingdom of God. He just won the biggest victory ever. Here it comes. And then Jezebel said, no, no, no. All right, you want to get stopped? It takes one woman. Can I get an amen? One woman. He's like, no, 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 no. You're, you're dead by this time tomorrow. I'm the queen around here and you're going to die. He runs into the wilderness, asks God to take his life. God shows up, restores his life. And then shortly after that, recommissions him for service. He, he names Elisha, his follower. And then all of a sudden, chariots of fire. Off he goes. Can you imagine being Elisha? You're walking with your leader and your, and your master, and all of a sudden, a chariot from heaven comes down, picks up Elijah, and off they go. And, and Elisha's like, ooh, crazy. No doubt, Elijah and Moses both died with lots of questions in their mind. I thought I was, I thought I was bringing in the kingdom. I thought I was going to see the kingdom come in my lifetime. Isn't that how we think, right? We think about future events from the day we were born to the day we die, right? That's how we think. What's well, got to happen now? Jesus got to come back in my lifetime. Why? Because I'm really important and I, you know, he needs to come back now. That's how Moses and Elijah were. They, they felt like this was their moment. Now they come in glorified bodies next to the 
divinely supernatural Jesus. And they're looking and Jesus is saying, hey guys, it's me. I am who you were not. I am the fulfillment of who you could never be. And I'm gonna go to the cross. I bet you that threw Moses and Elijah for a loop. I'm going to die for the sins of the world. And they were talking about his departure and that word for departure is really cool. It's literally exodus. They were talking about his exodus. And Jesus was gonna go to the cross and Jesus was going to die and be buried and raised again. And he's telling Moses and Elijah all this stuff. And no doubt these men were so impacted. They, Jesus was letting them know he was, he was putting it out, putting a notice out, saying, guys, this is how it's going to go down. What a moment. What a moment. And this is often how it is, right? Sin had to be paid for. Your sins and my sins had to be paid for. And Moses and Elijah learned that as they were talking to Christ. The third group that Jesus talked to were shocked sleepers, shocked sleepers. Verses 32 to 36, Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory, the two men standing next to him. And as the men were parting, Peter, of course, he always has something to say, amen. Uh, Master, it's good that we're here. Oh, gee, thanks, Peter. (laughs) Because we're pointing out the obvious. Um, Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah not knowing what he said. And then a cloud came overshadowed and the voice came out of the cloud. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And then all of a sudden they're alone and it's silent and they come down the mountain. This third group that Jesus transfigures before is these shocked sleepers. Have you ever been shocked by someone like static electricity? Oh, isn't that the worst? the worst. I'm normally the giver on that, not the receiver. I, I normally, I need to put more lotion, I guess, on my skin. I get really dry. Everything gets real staticky. And then I'm like, bam, ah, don't do that. Don't do that. And I think it's kind of funny. <laughs> Unless it's to my wife, then it's not funny anymore. But what's that? Is that when it's the funniest? Sometimes, bro. I don't know about your marriage, but uh, I, <laughs> So here's the deal, right? So if you think about static shock, that's just a small illustration, but here's the thing. These guys woke up shocked, shocked. Can you imagine being these men? They fell asleep during a prayer meeting with Jesus and they wake up and Jesus is shining with divine glory. Moses and Elijah are there. They don't even know Moses and Elijah. They got to listen in for a while to get the identities, right? And then all of a sudden, like, The glory of God surrounds them like a cloud. God the Father speaks to them and says, listen to my son. You know, they're like on the ground like dead men. This is overwhelming. This is stimulation overload. I kind of feel bad for him. I mean, it's just wild. So don't fall asleep during a prayer meeting with Jesus. Amen? Don't do it. And it makes me feel a little bit better about falling asleep during a prayer meeting because like, okay, Peter, James, and John did it. That's, that's helpful. Reminds me, uh, for all of you who have fallen asleep during a prayer meeting, this, this text makes you feel a bit better. 
My most famous falling asleep story during a prayer meeting was with Pastor Andy Biddle, 2013 or so. Andy and I are up in the office praying. It's in the middle of the afternoon. I'm hitting my afternoon wall. Can I get an amen? I'm hitting that wall. And Biddle and I are praying in his office, and we get down on our knees, and we pray for the church, for all of you, and praying for all the different things. And Andy leads off, and you know Andy has the velvety counseling voice. Can I get an amen? I mean, that guy, you talk to Biddle, and it's like, yeah, all my sins are just coming out, bro. I'm just telling you everything, because he just has that counseling voice. In a prayer meeting, that is dangerous, right? So he's praying, and I am quickly fading, fading. <laughs> I, I remember his voice, and then the next thing I remember is pure silence. I'm coming too, and it's pure silence. And my first thought is, how long have I been asleep? What do I do? Do I confess the sin? Do I just keep going? What, do I, what happens here? So I awkwardly just start praying. I just am like going to start praying, and I pray, and I do all this. I get done, I say, I, I, get, I say amen, and I look at Andy like, I'm so sorry, dude, I fell asleep during your prayer. How long was I asleep? He's like, that's not important. <laughs> <laughs> you know Andy Biddle, in a way, only Andy, so gracious, so kind. I was probably asleep for longer than I want to imagine. So look. They're waking up to this divine glory, this transfiguration. Amazing. And as they come to, Peter talks, which nobody's surprised by because Peter always talks. And Peter just starts filling up words. He doesn't even know what he's saying. Now, before you give Peter too hard of a time, right, it's easy to give him a hard time. Like, oh, yeah, dude, you just, you always just say stuff. Just be quiet. But Listen, if you're Peter, like he starts just saying whatever's coming to his mind and he, he's a thinker. He knows what he's thinking about. And basically he's like, let's build some tabernacles. Why would he say that? What is he, Catholic? What are we doing here? We building just big structure? Let's build this and build this and build this. No. Listen, like he's waking up and I, I think He's seen the glory of God. I mean, he has seen Christ exalted. He has seen what he's always dreamed of. This is exactly how it's supposed to go. Guys, guys, this is it. This is exactly how I thought it would be. He's the Messiah, the Son of God, and it's going to be victory after victory after victory, and it's the Feast of Tabernacles during this time of year. Praise God. We have, we have God tabernacling with us again and we can invite all the nation out. Everybody can see Jesus and Moses and Elijah. This is amazing. Let's do this. Rome is going down. The world is going to know the kingdom is here. I think that's what he was thinking. And I think that's good thinking. But one thing Peter did not see was the cross. Peter could not anticipate the cross and the suffering that was ahead. And so many times in our Christian lives, we get in trouble when we think it's just going to be victory after victory after victory because Jesus is risen from the dead. Yes, our home is heaven. Yes, there is great victory in Christ, but there is a cross for us to bear. And Peter didn't see it. So he's just saying all this. And, and these men, 
would never forget this moment. They would never forget it the rest of their lives. How do I know that? Because the Bible says so. First Peter, or 2 Peter chapter 1. This is years and years later. This is what Peter said about this moment. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from the Father, the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Here it is. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. I mean, Peter never forgot about this moment. How about John, the apostle John? Did he forget? No, he didn't forget. Listen to this in John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And God the father showed up and said, you guys need to listen to him, which is a great commandment still for us Christians today. Amen. Listen to what Jesus is saying. Listen to his commandments. Follow him no matter what the cost. It'll bring glory and it'll bring suffering to your life. So in the transfiguration, Jesus is putting everyone on notice that he's coming back to establish his kingdom and take back what was lost in the fall, namely everything. So what does that mean for us today? Well, it means the kingdom is already here, praise the Lord, but it's not yet here, is it? It's already here. There's victories happening in the name of Christ. Praise God for all those things. Just yesterday, I was sitting with Dave Newell and uh, the GCR group that that meets at Park Avenue High V yesterday morning. Praise the Lord for what's going on with those guys. Amen. I mean, there's victories happening. There's, there's thinking that's changing. There's, there's victories in Christ. Well, who gets the glory for that? The power of the risen Jesus, right? He gets the victory. Praise the Lord. For every single family that comes back together, for every couple that's restored, for every, every growth step that you take in Christ, that is a victory to the transfigured risen Jesus. For every baptism, you know what baptism is on April 2nd? Every baptism is a victory declaration for Jesus Christ. Amen? That's why some of you need to get baptized. It's a victory declaration in your life. Every single time a sinner comes to Christ, it's a victory for Jesus. Now, will there be suffering along the way? You better believe it. The cross is something we all have to bear individually. But we bear it knowing that the victory is Jesus's. And so, I close with this. This is Revelation 19. Christ is coming again. Amen, Christian? He's coming again. And when he comes, heaven is going to open up and behold a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, which will strike down the nations And he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And in the same passage, it says that Jesus' face shines like the sun in full strength. We're not talking about Christ in a human body on a cross. We are talking about the risen King coming again. Amen? So Christian, this is your God. This is your Jesus. 
his victory is assured. So go share Christ with every sinner that you know. Amen? Start making decisions of sanctification that will actually make a big difference in your life because the king has already won the victory. Walk and live and share in his victory. And if you're not a Christian, you've been put on notice. You've been put on notice if you're not a Christian here. There will be no excuse when Jesus shows up. There is no excuse for a lack of repentance in your heart. Jesus is greater and more powerful than your desires, your materialism, your accomplishments, all the things that you're hoping in. And Jesus wants to forgive you of your sins, but you have to repent. You have to take a step. You have to believe. So there's a few of you in here that just need to become Christians. You need to get saved. Jesus is putting everybody on notice. I hope we notice. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and the word. Thank you, God, for just the love that you have for us. Christ, thank you for transfiguring all those years ago to show us your glory. It helps us when we're going through the valley of the shadow of death. It helps us get through those hard times when we see the victory of Jesus. And Jesus, thank you that you are conquering nations, you are conquering cities, you are conquering people groups for your glory. You are saving the lost, you are transfiguring yourself, you are showing yourself to many people. God, may you continue to march forward with the gospel. Use us as willing servants to share and grow and enjoy this gospel. So be with every Christian, help them make decisions that are going to be helpful for them, for for growing. And Lord, I pray for non-Christians that are here, that they would surrender to Christ. They would repent of their sins and believe that Jesus rose from the dead. God, work in our hearts as we sing. Help us to respond to you. We are beholding you, seated on your throne, exalted. And Lord, may the joy of our hearts be to sing praises to you in Christ's name. Let's go ahead and let's stand once more.